Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, I'm really hoping that he's the first of many best-selling authors to appear on the Brenton on Tour podcast. But if he's the only one, he's a hell of a one. My friend Aaron Chapman joins me this week to talk about his brand new book, Vancouver After Dark, which is the fourth in a series about Vancouver following up Liquor, Lust, and the Law, Live at the Commodore, and his book on the penthouse. We're going to dive into the music scene in Vancouver, past, present, and potentially future. Some, uh, you know, a few little stories uh, that we collectively share from across the country and a lot more. So anxious for you guys to learn something you're going to learn about Vancouver, a city that I call home for the last 15 years. I can't wait for you to hear it. Thanks to Varia Brewing for giving you some product. I'm going to give you some product, you know, for listening, sharing, and liking. So keep doing that. I'm going to pick one of you. Aaron has given me a brand new copy of his book, Vancouver After Dark. He's going to sign it. He's going to give it to you. So we're going to throw that into the mix as well. It's a great read. You can hear this on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Huge thanks to my buddy, Dean Blundell, over at DeanBlundell.com for hosting me over there and for Todd Hancock and the Todd Hancock podcast, uh, which is the Toddcast podcast for presenting this for you. So away we go. Aaron Chapman, Vancouver, After Dark. Let's rock, let's rock today. Out on stage, I get to bring all of these people together for three hours. You're listening to the Brenton on Tour Music Cast, brought to you by people who love music, people who make music, and all things, well, music. You still don't really know who he is, but he just helped you stop drinking shitty coffee on the coffee cast. So, get off to John, grab a ghetto blaster, hit record and play at the same time, and learn a thing or two about music. It's the Brenton on Tour Music Cast. Here's BD. Hey, friends. Live from Vancouver. <laughs> Hanging out with my great friend, Aaron Chapman. How you doing, sir? I'm good, Brent. Great to be with you on this. Well, you know, uh, this uh, is the music cast. It's episode three. Yes. Um, I know um, so many people in this city since I've moved here 15 years ago, but none more informed than yourself. Oh, my gosh. Now. So here we are. We are gathered in uh, the new palace that you're living in. Yes. Which, you know, the last time... High we were, above the center of the earth. Uh, the last time we were together, we were driving Nikki Six around town. That, taking, was a, that was a wild day because uh, Monty Crew was in town. Uh, they were in beautiful Abbotsford, They were playing in Abbotsford, yeah, outside the city, for the those great, who are not familiar with the, the great, geography. The great Chad guy was there. That's right. That's right. And uh, Nikki has become a shutterbug, if you will, taking pictures, and he's actually a pretty good photographer. Got that whole book um, going. And, and I guess, you know, like, after so many years of, of going nuts on the road and, and, and consuming anything that was in front of him, He's, you know, he's basically he's clean and sober now, and he's going, and and now that's his hobby, and it, and it's a chance to get out of the arena and go see, you know, the local sites by as best I could tell. He does this in every town. Um, well, or he near said every we place. went out. To, uh, you know, I got the call from my uh, our mutual great friend Chad guy. Yes, um, and he's like, listen, we got it. You know, Nikki wants to go down town. Yeah, uh, he's got the book coming out. He wants to film. He wants to take some pictures. <laughs> 
the whole thing. Uh, we're going to, you know, you got to go down. And I'm like, I can't do this without the greatest historian oh my in the city. I got to bring <laughs> Chappie with me. And, uh, and everyone was on board, including Nikki. And he's yeah. like, this is great. So, you know. He needed a chaperone it, through the downtown it, east side. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, uh, this one hell of a tour <laughs> we gave him. And, and it was that, fascinating because he, uh, you know, like, it, it's, He's basically dressed as Nikki Six. You, you can recognize him. It's not as though he's in a suit and tie and things like that, or he's got a baseball cap and sunglasses. As we were walking, as you remember, you might remember this too, and, and it makes me laugh. Hard to it. forget. He, it, it, people would walk by and go, "That's Nikki Six, you know, like right at in Hastings, in, in the, like the toughest or sort of dirtiest, sort of the greatest uh, line from that day was we went into so for our friends listening abroad, yes, because this is a big deal, Chappie. This yes. this podcast, it was like. Number three in Norway. That's amazing. For a week <laughs> and two days. Yeah. It was pretty rocking. Norway's so great. We, we are worldly. It's doing well, which is why, you know, I brought you on to boost the ratings. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> our, you know, Arsenal Press paid very good money good to have you on here. So it's yes. very good. Uh, we we went to, we, we walked around. Nikki wanted to take some pictures. Yes. Uh, and he he was very, very generous. He sent me into the local branch of a bank with some money and said you know come back out with a bunch of fives and tens fives tens twenties whatever would walk around and ask people about their story asked to take their picture and paid the money yeah and it was it was really really but he he did it in a very kind of i thought in a very uh very sort of kind you know he would ask people hey do you mind if i and and he would say can i give you a couple bucks for some smokes or something like that or help you out or you know like so I found that very sort of very humane the way he was doing it, or very you know sort of professionally, and none of nobody felt like they were buying, they were selling themselves for one of his photos. No, and I think and everyone you know, he had did a it story. In a very to friendly tell. way, but the funny thing was, as soon as people in the downtown east side found out that Nikki Six was handing out five dollar bills to everybody in town, there was basically a parade following us at one point. Piper, and we had to take you know like the Pac Man, you take a couple of quick turns and go around and get out of the you know to throw the ghosts off. Uh, yeah, because so I, we went. There's a yes. place in uh, uh, in Vancouver called Insight. Yes, where they help people that need help. Harm with, reduction, safe injection site. Yes. So Nikki went in there, wanted to check it out. He went in and checked it out, and I'll never forget the line. <laughs> we walk in, everyone just stops what they're doing, and some dude at like pokes out around the corner. Yeah, goes For- back around and goes. Nikki Six, man, my dad fucking hated you, man. You were the devil in my house. Rock on, man. Want to get high? And I was like, Nikki just kind of looked at both of us. <laughs> he kind of didn't know. Anything. Then his security guard looked at both of us. That's right. There was there was his buddy, the security guy, with him. Yeah. And uh, we we knew uh, well. And- it was showtime. Yeah. <laughs> so the four of us just kind of stepped away from it. Yeah. And it, the guy at Insight, I remember who knew me from somewhere. I can't remember. It said, if you can come back, we're just a little busy right now. Because he did, Nikki just wanted to see this. He just you know, walked right in? Yeah, just walked right in. So it, anyway, it, that, was a, that was a really interesting day. And uh, I saw some of the photos he took later on his, maybe it was his website or his Instagram or something like that. They were really actually very good. Yeah, and, and he, uh, I think he followed up with a book yeah. to go with the heroin diaries. Plus he had some other stuff. Just so, one of the wild things on tour that sometimes one, people... That happens in Vancouver. It happens, it I mean, it's here, got, it happens, it happens, you know, it happens happened in Vancouver. To us. Yeah. And uh, I was happy to have you along for that journey. That was great. Because... I really enjoyed that. And it's funny because right out, right where we are right now, which is outside, which is inside my place. Which is at the end of the, the day. Beautiful, hold on. Yeah. Uh, to, to describe it to our listeners. Yes. So Chappie's currently in a robe. 
He's 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 literally he's literally, he's literally Hugh like, Hefner, like he's a Hugh, he's in a Hugh Hefner state. This is what happens when you write books and people pay you big money. To, to you know, he's in demand. He's been on global TV, friends, this week. That's right. And so this is funny. We got another story about global TV. Mm. So that was going on, and then so now we're in the beautiful confines. Like there's West Van, and then there's where Aaron lives, and he's in a giant building overlooking the whole city. <laughs> not quite the penthouse suite. It's like no. the second floor down from it. Right. But, I mean, he couldn't quite We're right. It. We could see BC Place, the arena. We're just see. basically got it right by my front door here. So that's we're, right. We're right in the heart of the city. We can also but, see uh, inside. Yes. Yeah, you we can. It's right on the border. That's the thing. That's what I like about it. If I walk up my place and I, I look to my right, I'll see, like, the, the Yaletown aerobics wives running by with their designer dogs. And if I look to my left, I'll see a guy with a shopping cart. Uh, you know, with a bunch of scrap metal. So I really feel like I'm in the border of, of heaven and hell right down here. So we do this Nikki Sticks thing. And we, yes. we travel we got to finish the Nikki story. We, well, no, we try, it kind of leads into this this thing. Yes. So we say goodbye. Mm-hmm. You go about your day. I drive back to Abbotsford. Um, and to interject, we I, Nikki and I took a photo together. Mm-hmm. Just at the end, of just as kind of a souvenir. Thanks, Nikki. He was real. I enjoyed my day with him. He was, he was a real gentleman. But... I walked inside my place, and my neighbors, who were like heading out the front door with their baby carriage, was like, "Was that just who I thought? Like, <laughs> was that Aaron Chapman? What, <laughs> no, like, what is it you do for a living, Aaron? Exactly, you know? Like, can I say I don't know? That's a good question. Sometimes we but. drive back, and Nikki says to me, "What's your favorite Motley Crue record?" And I said. Oh, sorry. Coincidentally, Motley Crue announced that they're coming out of retirement today. That's it. That's, see, this a, is also topical. This, this is a whole, of this, this topical. Yeah. This is funny that it's happening today, yeah. but we'll, that's a whole other thing. We go back. He says, what's your favorite Motley Crue record? I said, Too Fast for Love for me. You know, one of the mm-hmm. first albums I ever bought uh, was that when I was in my ute there. Yeah. And uh, and I, I said, I think it's like a, it's a punk rock record. And he agreed. He's like, yeah. I think it's a super punk rock record. And it's amazing. And he says, what do you know about Prince? And I said, well, you know, huge fan over the years. Mm-hmm. And it was, and he proceeds to tell this story about he used to date Prince's ex. Uh, I want to say Vanity. Oh, Vanity. Some, yes, something I like that. Vanity, yeah. And she's, she, she would bore, tell bore this story about yeah. how Prince would just sit at a piano and hit one key for four hours. And then get on the phone and call the band and say, get to the studio. And they would get to the studio <laughs> and, I don't know, five in the morning, yeah. you know, and record for t- probably 14 and a half hours and lay down some just crazy shit. And Nikki was like, this is like some of the best shit you'll ever, or you'll never hear. Right. And then rec- it's in the vault. That's yeah. in the vault. And then recently it's come out that there's, you know, tons of music tons in the vault and they yeah, want to yeah. put it out and all the rest of it. So that coincides with the Prince thing, right. because then when Prince passed, mm-hmm. I had done the last four shows for in, Prince in, in Vancouver. Vancouver. That's right. Yeah. And you had called and said, Hey, you know, uh, we got a, we got a, you know, we got people looking for Prince stories. What That's do you right. got? And Squire, your buddy my Squire, friend, my friend Squire from global TV. And I said, well, my buddy Brent, what did the, you know, help produce those shows. So it was crazy. And then we get on global TV in the morning. Patrick, that's right. Yeah. You and Patrick. And that's I'm right. sitting here with YouTube music animals. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, it was fun. I did four shows <laughs> with Prince. And then Patrick starts rhyming off every Prince. Yes. 
He had seen a bunch. Every prince like uh, appearance in the city. Yeah. For the last twenty years, and you got it was amazing. So, anyways, friends, I felt it appropriate as we move into the second or the third episode of the music cast that I bring one of my most musically educated friends. Oh gosh, I'm longest serving member of. Uh, uh, one of the longest serving members of one of the greatest cover bands alive with pepper sprayed by hookers <laughs> and uh, an author. Yes. And historian. And um, have, is there anything else? Out. Is there anything else that you that you haven't done or that you, that you can tell people oh, you do? Well, what? you know, I've, I've I've lately I've done a bunch of voiceover stuff on cartoons on these Japanese and Korean cartoons that are being dubbed in English. I always get the bad guy part because my voice is deeper. And <laughs> let's, I hear, the, let's hear a sample of a. Of um, a, a you're doing it in Korean or English? No, I'm doing it in English. You see a Korean guy or a Japanese guy on the cartoon, but it's my voice. Right. And uh, Or sometimes it's a robot. There's a, sh- uh, there's a show called Tobots that you can find on YouTube, and I play Tobot X, uh, and it's a sort of a Transformers-type show. Okay. Um, and then there is, uh, gosh, there's a bunch of other ones that I've done, and they haven't come out yet. But that's been a sideline. You know, it, it, I don't know what, what in, in other cities of the world necessarily that, that you know, musicians sometimes find them branching so, off. And others. I was like a touring musician for 20 years. And, you know, in the Real Mackenzies and then later with Town Pants, Posifus King, Hard Rock Miners, some Vancouver sort of Western Canadian bands that people may or may not know. Real Mackenzies people know because they toured all over the, they toured all over the world. No one knows anything past Alberta. But yeah, that's, that's, probably it. that's probably it. But there's some, some people know these, know these bands because right. they've been around for Mackenzie's, of course. Mackenzie's, of course. Town Be, pants. Yeah. And uh, so I did that. But around 2012, I wanted to kind of get off the road. I was, I was touring six, seven, eight months of the year. And it was kind of wearing down on me. And I wasn't enjoying it as much as I used to. But I also wasn't. I didn't feel like you're supposed to sort of get better as you play. And I was, I was, I was having some nights I just, I just wasn't feeling it. Or I felt like I wasn't playing well enough. Or, or there was some kind of diminishing return happening there. And I felt like I kind of needed to just sort of get off the road for a year when a book deal kind of landed in my lap because I'd always done some writing on the side. Um, and that led into a book about the Penthouse nightclub in Vancouver, which is a, it's a strip bar in Vancouver, but it's run by this crazy fa- Italian family, amazing family called the Filipponi family who have sometimes been miscast in, in the city as the Sopranos of Vancouver, just because they're Italian and they run a strip bar. Uh, but the story is much interesting and much more deeper there. And I thought, even if you lived in New York or San Francisco or Timbuktu, you, could, you would find the story really interesting. And I tried to write it as an interesting story and, and uh, with a bit of zip to it. And, uh, and it did well. It, it became a, you know, a, a bestseller in Canada, technically, even though all it was mostly sold out here at West. Um, so that kind of suddenly opened up this writing sort of career for me out of, out of nowhere. And a voiceover career. Did, voice- you, did you put them on book? Or did you put them on audio as well? Well, the, That's they, a the, lot of words. The last, the last book they, I did, which, is, which was a, a true crime story called The Last Gang in Town, uh, has been made into an audio book, but I didn't get to do the, the voiceover. I told them I, w- I could do it. By the time we signed the contract and I let them know that, hey, I can do this, they had given it to a, one of their stable of voiceover actors. And he did a good job, but I would have liked to have done it myself. Um, if you could have done it in your but year. that just got that just got option for a TV series, the uh, last gang. last gang in town. Oh. Um, so I'm hoping you know maybe you'll see it. Who knows these things because they're a bit of a, you know, it all depends on finding a broadcaster who's into it and things like this. But they're shopping it around now, so so who knows what'll happen. So, but I you know I I met, I met you in the in the trenches of concert production, which I sort of had got into just before I was kind of get I was still playing a lot, um, and, and that that's still happening. You know, like so you know other. 
you know, there's an old phrase. I saw an old photo of Mickey Rourke, and he's down by the YMCA pool. Uh, in, in Vancouver. In, 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 no, he's in New York. Oh, he's in New York. And, 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 he, and it was, I think it was on his Instagram, and his, his caption was, you got to learn to swim in this town. And I, that made me laugh, but it made me think, everybody's got it, you know, everybody has a little sort of sidelines they do, and sometimes yeah. one takes off or one subsides or one gets going. And, then, uh, and I think that in this day and age, I think a lot of people are sort of doing that. I always wanted to be a guy that did lots of things. That was always an, an idea that I, you know, um, and I was very inspired by, you know, in a weird way, some of the Monty Python guys, they had been writers and actors and directors, you know, and they always did sort of interesting things. They were involved in theater. They did stand-up. They, and I always thought that was interesting, an interesting sort of uh, life to have. You, you do know? have a bit of a John Cleese thing going on. <laughs> Maybe it takes, with, the, with the robe right now. I don't have the, like, the Basil Fawlty mustache. No, it is Movember. But, but yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, although my, my dad said that we were related to Graham Chapman from Monty Python. He uh, was a cousin. I don't know if he was, he's, he's passed now, so I don't know if he's both Graham and my beard. father. But, but I always thought, Yellowbeard, yeah. Uh-huh. I always thought, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to ask him about that. Anyway, um, but uh, so the, the, I now have this sort of odd uh, status in Vancouver, especially because of some of the older historians in the city and some of the people that used to write on that, like people like Chuck Davis and this and that, they passed on. So there's sort of a, there's a bunch of us actually, and I'm probably one of a few that are, are kind of writing about Vancouver in maybe a way that, that people haven't seen before or looking at the underbelly of Vancouver in that sense, because there's lots of stories about the logging, you know, companies and the train that moved out from the East to connect Vancouver to the rest of the country. And the Confed- but, you know, like for me, the, some of the bars and the nightclubs and this, that's where you, that's where the real Vancouverites always How met. How many people wrote other than Motley Crue about the Marlboro Arch? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? right? So the Marble Arch was the first place in Vancouver I ever had a drink. Uh, and I was underage. Um, and I don't know how the hell I got in because I was baby-faced uh, and, and, and did not look old enough at all to be in there with three Your other money buddies. money was good, Dad. Three of my other buddies. <laughs> but I thought, I can't order like a beer or something like that. I go to a certain like older. And I ordered an, Jameson's Irish whiskey. There you go. Just give me a shot of Irish whiskey. And I... And, and, uh, my, my voice had dropped from a fairly boyish soprano when I was 15 to basically what it is now. So I had this sort of older, sort of bigger voice, even though I was a little pipsqueak. I hadn't really grown yet. So the guy probably looked at me and thought, geez, some midget or just ordered an Irish whiskey. Okay, we'll give it to him. You know, like, and I remember drinking it for the first time. And God, it felt like gasoline going down. But I learned to like it. You see, so that's... Uh, Were you the, wearing this robe? <laughs> I was not wearing this. I walked in off the street wearing a robe in the Marble Arch. They might have just thought... He's a wealthy Texas well, billionaire, and he's nuts. So just serve him. He's just coming off Hastings. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Good to go. But the uh, uh, so I'm 15 years in Vancouver. Yes, um, and so, I met you about in the fall of 2006. Yeah, so like you, we've basically been, you know, yeah, we've been mates for 14 years yeah, now yeah. at least, and God, it's been by, yeah. it's been awesome. We've played uh, 10 gigs together. That's including right, including my wedding. Uh, which was the biggest gig of all. Um, we, uh, for those who don't know, there's a wonderful band called Pepper Sprayed by Hookers, yes. made up of gentlemen like ourselves that are in the business. We've got four more drum- merch music. Four, yeah, we got more merch and music. We got four drummers, uh, forty six <laughs> guitar players. One's, it's a roving cast. One, of yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but it's a, it's a we, it's a Christmas miracle as we refer to it. As, yes. as we play once every nine years. Yeah, at this rate now. Yeah, it used to be every year, but now we're. Yeah. We, gotta, we gotta assemble the troops again on that one. That would be so we, we we've known each other for a long time, and I've had to. Uh, one of the the best things about moving here is that there's not 
um, you know, there's a great history in Vancouver. When you come from Toronto, which is where I came from, there is, you know, it's it's funny because the divide in this country, a lot of people make up over hockey, mm. or they make it up over hey, Alberta and BC are their right. own thing, and then Quebec's its own thing, and Ontario its own thing. It's really interesting to watch from the east side of it to move to the west. Because when I first right. moved here, there was a lot of sort of east versus west. Well, let's and all I, hate Toronto. Yeah, and, and I real yeah. I, I basically realized that it came down to the Canucks not getting on Hockey Night in Canada. <laughs> And that, you're, you know, you're not wrong. On you that, know what yeah. I mean? And that, that was a big thing. And that was a huge thing. And then the music scene, um, which I want to say was, was, um, cordial, mm. but the queen street in Toronto had its thing. And then you guys had this reputation for this killer bar scene mm. in Vancouver, Richards and, and, uh, the, the starfish room and all these, you know, the Commodore when it reopened yeah. and all Town that stuff, stuff uh, especially Town for Pump. those Toronto bands. Yeah. Right. And that was a huge thing. And I cut my teeth in Ontario as a promoter when I was young mm. and I use that term loosely, but I, you know, <laughs> I had money and I was doing I mother earth and our lady peace and tea party shows for colleges and all this stuff back in, you know, late nineties, yeah. Todd, you know, age of electric and yeah, yeah, all yeah. these West bands were coming limb lifter and Zucker baby and all these bands that we were kind of doing shows with. And I would get these stories about Vancouver mm-hmm. And I couldn't wait to get out. So I tour managed. And all the people that I met when I first started tour managing uh, were, you know, House of Blues, Live Nation guys. Yeah. Well, that became Live Nation. But mm-hmm. we all, you know, they're all out here doing it. Yeah. And in this amazing Lots band. of peop- ex- ex- people from certain bands. Totally. Well. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And there yeah. was this sort of, like, the band's. Like we kept hearing about the West and the East and then the West would be, would ask us about the bands in yeah. the East and what's going on on it, Queen street and all it's these It's funny you things. say that because from my perspective, being a Westerner and watching the Eastern bands come out, you know, it always seemed to be, um, there was some, I, there was lots of Toronto bands that I loved. I thought they were so great and they would come out here and it was kind of like a big deal that they were coming all the way out to Vancouver to play. And it's a hell of a ways to go, especially it, it felt maybe long, uh, further away in the 80s and late 80s and 90s, you know, like I was talking to Hugh Dillon from the Headstones about this. Yeah. Uh, and, and he was talking about that very thing that that it seemed, it, you know, it was a great distance to go. But everybody, we all wanted to go out there. You can't get your gold record. Yeah. You know, like and 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 it was kind of the promise. They they already they, they felt there was kind of like a West Coast sound and there was already something happening. So it was it was an interesting time in that late 80s, early 90s for some of the music that was bouncing back and forth from either either coast and the infrastructure that kind of let that happen there was i i think there was three distinct sounds yeah. because you had the east coast with sloan and thrush hermit and all yeah. these kind of bands that were hardship post hardship post yeah, I remember, yeah all those bands that were there and then you moved into toronto yeah and you had that whole scene that was going on and lots of different things going on within so toronto, many you got, you got everything bands. from the shuffle demons yeah. Uh, to to you know straight rocket rock bands you know like, and everything in between then you had the right like you had the rise of that scene um, in Toronto that kind of blew up. And I think this whole city was, the whole country was rising at the same time. And then the West had all these amazing bands coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And it just all sort of all happened. And people can say what they want about Canadian content or CanCon as it's referred to, but yeah. it really blew up, man, from yeah. like 1991, 92 on. Yeah. And there was a real, went. there was a real infrastructure that I think, and, and you know, at the time, I remember sort of saying, you know, about much music, oh, this turn off this Madonna stuff or whatever. But in hindsight, it was actually pretty good because you would get, 
for instance, the Canada concert listings. Yeah. They would play those. So you, I had heard of places like the Misty Moon in Halifax or, you know, uh, Lee's Palace yep. in Toronto well before I ever went there because as a teenager, I was always hearing about them. So when I finally got out there to play, yeah, big deal. it was a huge, you know, totally. it was, it felt like a bigger deal, you know, and, and that that's, that's probably funny. It's because it's some of it's just in your mind's eye, but there was a real network there. And I don't know necessarily if you're in a band coming up today, you, you would have that same sense of the country uh, as, as people that were in the scene back then had. It's interesting. And, and I think, you know, touching on where I want to, go down the road eventually um, with you in a panel down the street or down the road. But um, you know, the venue, the lack of venues that are the mm. venues that are closing are historic venues. Like Richards is gone. The town pump is gone. Sure. The starfish room is gone. These are all venues that we heard about in the East. You've exactly. got the Commodore still. Yeah. Where else are we going? Well, it's funny because in my new book, which is called Vancouver after dark available in stores across Canada. Yeah. Um, I talk about Matthew, I talk with Matthew Good about that. And, and he makes the point, you know, there was a place, there was a, a venue in Gastown that was around for the better part of 30 years called the Town Pump. And it was the real, as Matt says, it was the, it was the real hub it was the, at that time because you either played that room, that room on the way up or the way down. And it would, when it closed, it really felt like it closed kind of prematurely in a way the music was, scene was changing. But, you know, he made the point that you know, would Toronto let the horseshoe close? You know, because that's kind of what happened in Vancouver. You know, the town pump was sort of our horseshoe, a tavern, you know, in, in that sense. And and it kind of, um, that really sort of, it, it, we lost a wheel there for a little bit, you know, because within that same period of time here in Vancouver, the Commodore closed for three years. Mm. Uh, it reopens in 1999, but it's right in that window between 1996-99. Town pump changes to a DJ room, some other clubs some smaller clubs closed. So it was a real sort of where were the shift. bands? Where were the bands playing then? When the town pump closed, what's left? Yeah, well, Richards was it? Richards was open. Richards started to pick up the Richards okay. on Richards started to pick up the slack. The Starfish Room, which lasted until about two thousand two, two thousand three, I think, that kind of became a place. But you know, it was the the scene was changing as well, um, and you know, you're just a few years away from the beginning of, or or some, you know, all of a sudden Napster and some of those things and file sharing sort of hits right around that. So it was. It's it, it's 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 been a really sort of fascinating time to watch how the music industry has tra- changed. Let's say from the early 1990s, you could even go before and talk about something, but early 1990s up until today, um, because some of the same language and some of the same metrics don't necessarily apply anymore. There's a whole other thing, and I always say to people, it's never been as hard, and it's also never been as easy at the same time. You know, there's other there's there's many things that are easier to kind of get yourself heard, you know, or or whatnot, but. Some of the some of the old circuitry that made things happen isn't around anymore. So some people I don't know where that where that goes or how that geographically then. Mm. So I still feel like with only being out here fifteen years, I'm that's a long time, but it's a it's a long time, but it's uh I feel like I kind of caught the tail end of something, mm. and now it's a new Vancouver. Yeah, like really honestly, after the Olympics, it's a, a different city to me from a standpoint of like the growth and what's happened here mm-hmm. from even like the refurbishment of BC place totally. to That's just enough, the, yeah. the, the, the 10 condos are, you know, in that neighborhood and, and, uh, um, the, what, what's the place, um, um, where the casino was, uh, Oh yeah. Just, Plaza of nations. Plaza nations. Yeah. So, yeah. Totally changed. I, you know, so for the listeners listening, they're uh, regionally, I want to Aaron break down sort of like, 
was it an easy city? To, was there a scene amongst the scenes? You got Granville Street, so every every city's got their street, right. right? So you got Granville Street as far as Vancouver nightlife goes, which you wrote about in your book, in the Commodore and mm. all this stuff, which we'll touch on. But like geographically, for people that have never been to Vancouver, Starfish Room, Richards, Commodore, right. what was the were people hopping? What was the scene? How are you getting to go see bands? Was it easy because? Yeah. It's it's way different now. It's way different now. Well, it's interesting because Vancouver, of course, if you don't know where Vancouver is, it's right three hours north of Seattle. We're up in the sort of the northwest sort of corner of North America there. And Best weather in the country. <laughs> and, you know, Vancouver was always sort of really well placed because people you could just look at tour schedules. There's so many tours, as you know, that begin or end in Vancouver because, you know, even going back to the vaudeville days, um, you know, when the Marx Brothers came to do a live show at the Orpheum Theater, Sometimes they would start in Vancouver, they'd do a week in town, and then they would head down to Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, and by the time they got to what was obviously a bigger population center in Los Angeles, the act was ready, everybody was tight, you know, and they were kind of ready to take on, you know. So Vancouver was sort of blessed, and still is, because so many acts sort of start here, and there's lots of, throughout the 50s and 1960s and the 70s, it started to change in the 70s a little bit, but Throughout those years, there's a lot of shows that, that started, that played Vancouver that didn't go, necessarily go to Calgary or Edmonton or Saskatoon, Regina, in and down the line. They'd just come up and out. They would just come up and out. They'd, they'd hit, you know, obviously Montreal, Toronto, probably Ottawa, you know, like when they came up the East Coast again. But Vancouver was really sort of unique that way. So we got lots of entertainment here. We were quite frankly spoiled, I think, for, for some of the shows. So audiences in Vancouver sort of notoriously arms folded, chin up, you know, all right, impress me. You know, the things that still see that today in some, you know, some some stadium shows I've seen, you know, where people are kind of very, a little bit more reserved than maybe they need to be or something. But in Vancouver. It, yeah. Well, no know. one's from here. You're There's, from I'm here. here. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm, that's, I'm one Understood. of the rare ones. Yeah. You're one of the rare ones. You're not being Pete. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I think there's something, there's something to that you know, originally. So everybody in Vancouver, and I'm sure, you know, I as I say in the in the book, there's, Cities aren't meant to be museums. They're going to change. Businesses are going to change. You know, the taste in music shift. So that suddenly means, you know, one place that was great for punk rock, when that subsides, it it maybe disappears and it turns into another kind of place. Or it just or burns down suspiciously. Or the, the business closes. There's lots of different reasons why some of these venues close over the years, even up until today. But, um, you know, this is... What happened in, in Vancouver is interesting because in other, when I do talks about some of the books I've written in other places in Edmonton or Calgary or, you know, Western Canada, people always say to me, this isn't, no one's really doing what you're doing here in town. And, and I don't know why that is. And I, and I usually sort of tell people, well, it's because your city hasn't changed so radically. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As you're Vancouver talking has. about you're not. No one's writing about those scenes. In no, Edmonton, not necessarily because Calgary, because but, and if they do, I don't. I'm not aware of them. Or if they do, sure. they're in a different way. But right. the, the idea is that a lot of a lot of city. What happened in Vancouver and let's in let's say since everybody uses the benchmark of Expo '86, you know, like being. But it, it really sort of started to change more than once you got into the '90s, especially downtown, and even more so. It's the last 20 years. 
You know, like, so you've been here for 15 of them. You've seen it. You've seen how. I feel like know. I've been through a complete change. Yeah, and it, and it has you know? been. You know, like, I'm old enough. Even our hockey team changed. Yeah, he, he, that's for sure. Seriously. They for sure. The, the year I moved here, they yeah. completely changed. It, 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 so a lot of the changes that have happened in Vancouver, it takes maybe 50 years, 60 years for those changes to happen in another city. For here, it's been like in the last 20, 25 years. You think the Olympics did that? Well, Expo did it. Expo did it. The Olympics, the Olympics sort of added to it. You know, we were well on our way then. Yeah. Um, but, pro, you know, I remember, I'm, I'm born 1971, so I remember what the city used to look like and smell like. There were areas of town that sm smell totally different now. You know, like, I remember the old breweries that were out by Arbutus and Broadway. There was a Carling O'Keefe brewery there. So anytime you went by there in the morning, it just stank of hops. Uh, it, like, it was really heavy air, you know, like, that's all gone now. If you walk over the Granville Street Bridge as a kid, I remember looking down, you'd see log booms from the forestry industry that was at it. Like, now you wouldn't see that. There's million-dollar condos on those shores. Was Bruno Garusi on any of the logs? <laughs> and then Relic from Beachcombers. That's right. It could have been. You know, that that <laughs> that whole Beachcombers thing felt very, you know, that that was the industry out here. So, Danger yeah, all that stuff, you know, it was, it was much more, uh, it was very maritime. It still is, but it's, you know, the, the urbanism of Vancouver has grown so much and the city's changed so much that uh, those changes were a little bit bound to happen. And some of those changes, when you really start looking at some things, you know, the west end of Vancouver is a very famous area because of all the apartment buildings and the density down there. You know, th yeah. that changed in the 1960s. So, you know, the downtown was changing even then. Um, and anyway, so some people, it's very, it's a very top, it's a big topic of conversation here in town. You know, what was the, you know, the best time to be alive in Vancouver? And it's and inevitably everybody's, it's their own youth is, is what they, nostalgic excuse me, nostalgically look back at. Um, but with all those changes, they're changed in the nightclub, in the venue scene. You know, in the 1960s and through the 70s, Hornby Street, which is now, if you go down to Hornby Street, there's High Steakhouse there and some bank towers. But that used to be where all the clubs were. Um, the Cave was there, Misty's, uh, 12 Caesars, the Living Room, uh, the Body Shop, all these old nightclubs that used to be around that used to have bands uh, come through it, and, and, you know, and... and that chain, real estate started to change that. So the nightclub starts to shift, you know, not long after that, the rise of Gastown uh, neighborhood happens. You Define know? Gastown for, is, it, Gastown a, is, is it a town it, full of gas? It's what, not, it, what yeah, it? I should. You got a steam it, clock. It, yeah, this famous steam clock. If you come to Vancouver and you hear about Gastown, Gastown's sort of where the city, quote unquote, began. And it's, and it's the funny thing is, it's old. it's old, but it's only so old because the way it was created with the brick streets and that was all, in the 1970s. It wasn't like that. It hasn't been this preserved Edwardian corner of the, you know, that's a little bit for the tourists. There's an alleyway there called Blood Alley and people think, why, was there butcher shops there or somebody killed? No, they just, the, the architect that was supervising the renovation of Gastown just thought it'd be a great name for, for you know, so we have sometimes, a, you know, Vancouver is a very young city, you know, in that sense. Um, so as, and as I say, the, the changes that have happened in Vancouver have happened before your very eyes. So, and it, that's what makes it kind of unique, you know, but, but with all those changes, as the city's grown, you've also seen big changes in the music industry. So it's been a complete shift. So there's very few clubs as we, as we're talking about, you know, Commodore Barroom being one, you know, the Vogue is still, but the Vogue didn't used to always have bands. It was kind of like a place where stomp, you know, would happen or the sort of musical productions and things like that. It's only more in recent years. It's become, that's become a show. There's new clubs that have arisen and new venues like the Rickshaw theater and the Imperial and, some places like that, the Biltmore is still around, even though the Biltmore was a biker bar in the 70s. Um, but it's it, it's been interesting to watch. And and some people ask me, 
you know, is it, are, are, is that, is the great era of live music over? Is rock and roll dead now? And with these, all these clubs gone. And, and I, I don't think so. I think, I think there's, there's always ebbs and flows of these things. Um, and I think there's, what I found interesting is in some of the stuff that's happening in town is actually happening in places, some of these places off the map. It's a place called 333 Clark, which is called 333, but it just, it just shut down as another example because the, it was in an old sort of mechanics uh, building, but they were doing like hardcore shows in there. Um, there's a place just up the road from us here called the Clubhouse. Uh, that's done it's it's in this warehouse and I walked in there and it was packed and I couldn't believe like god there's all these millennials watching live music I I almost on I, their I, phone uh, uh, yeah <laughs> no they were actually watching they were taking some pictures but they were actually there and, and, and watching it and present and, and a tear almost came to my eye thinking like this is exactly well they were judging music <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was cool to see so some of it's some of it's kind of receded underground which yeah, maybe yeah. is good for it you know that it goes underground a little bit again so then it comes back with a so with, with a vengeance. You go, you go, uh, I mean, this is book number four. Yes. Right. So walk me through the process. So you, you start, uh, with the penthouse, correct? Started uh, with the book on the penthouse nightclub called liquor, lust and the law in 2012. That is, this came a, up. is this a you idea or is this, uh, is this based on your local knowledge of the city? Arsenal comes to you and says, Hey, do you want to do this? That was a weird thing. I, you know, I, I was, I was writing on the side. I kind of enjoyed writing. On tour, I would sometimes like write an article and email it back to Vancouver to maybe somebody who might run it in a in a you know whether it was in. A and fancy. when you were on tour, they didn't have email, so that was a whole. <laughs> it was a whole other thing. That it was, was, a whole it other was tricky thing. to do, you know. Like, um, and I had written a, an article for the Vancouver Courier about the penthouse, and the penthouse is a sort of notorious place that goes back decades in Vancouver, and it has this really wild history going back to the 30s and 40s. Um, but the and the and not, famously there was a murder next door there in 1983 of Joe Filipponi, who was the patriarch of the Filipponi family and started the penthouse who got hence the, hence the soprano tag. So it's the, hence the soprano tag. And, and uh, you know, the, the, that murder has always been sort of a, a long shadow cast over the family. And, and, but I didn't get into that. I got into it in the article, but I didn't start with it. And I got into other things that I thought were quite frankly more interesting. And Danny Filipponi, the, who's the, who's the uh, nephew of Joe Filipponi and the son of Ross Filipponi who un, runs that place now, Really liked it and thought it was really well written and also sort of showcased the history of that place in a really fair way because I thought some of the things that had been said about the place and it wasn't really true, you know, it was just the sort of the real the truth is actually even better than some of the made up stuff or the, so the rumors that, that, that people have. So I wrote that book and it came out in 2012. I guess I signed on to do it at the end of 2011 and it was a huge success, you know, here in town and, and, uh, got nominated for BC Book Prize and, and the whole, it was great. You know, so I suddenly was sort of showing up. I was getting, I used to get recognized at record stores, but now I get recognized at bookstores. There it is. And, and, and it was kind of like this whole other angle of, that was suddenly kind of opened up for me. So after that, I thought I'm going to do, you know, some of this was easy stuff to me because I thought no one, no one has ever written a book about the penals before. This seems, I'm going to do a book about the Commodore. Nobody's written a book about that, you know, like, and I was probably well-placed to do that with some of the relationships I had with some of the people that ran it. Um, and that, uh, did just as well, you know, like, so sometimes the, the, the book writing thing, I think it's like maybe the movie industry. If you have a success, they'll let you do it again, you know, but if you have a flop, it's over. May, maybe it's over, you know, like, uh, why do they keep letting our band? Yeah. <laughs> so in the wake of that, I thought I wanted to mix it up. And there was this, this true crime story, which I had always been fascinated by. And I had written an article 
about that too that was sort of a dress rehearsal for the book, and that was a book that eventually became called The Last Gang in Town. And it's a story about, a true story about East Vancouver street gangs in the 1970s and what the Vancouver Police Department did to combat them in a secret gang squad that they put together to aggressively, which, you know, in quotes, beat up some of these gangs. This was a tough, that was a tough book for you to research. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right? There was and, some... and, and I got some calls from people that wanted to know why I was poking around right. into this or, or, you know, there were some concerns from the... Uh, Let's say the the lads that ride motorcycles for a living and have the the things the the, the things emblazoned on the back of their leather jackets, and uh, but I managed to sort of I think sort of negotiate uh, my way through that. And it was the funny thing was, uh, in the wake of that book coming out, I heard from all these old retired police officers that say, "Hey, everybody got the book for Christmas and everybody really liked it." And then I also heard from some of the bikers that everybody got the book for Christmas. They all liked it. Those so are the Shriners? The, the, the Shriners. Yes, they are the Shriners. Yes, that, that, that'd be safe to say who they are. But, but I think, you know, it, it, it sort of, I didn't pick sides. And I, I tried to illustrate that life was just different back then for both sides of the law. And it struck a chord with people because I think people had heard about those, those gangs, like the Clark Park gang and some of the ones I named in the book that uh, – but had never read anything concrete about them or wanted to know a fact from fiction. And that was, and that, that sort of ended up being it. So uh, that was a, that was a, a real bonus too. So I thought it, uh, there'd been, it had been an idea for me for a while to do a book maybe on the clubs in town. You know, the, the penthouse is still around and the, and the Commodore is still around. What about tackling something about the clubs that are no longer here and why they are gone? Because if you talk to people in Vancouver, everybody remembers a place they used to go to that's gone. Now, because the city has changed so much, along with the music industry, and every generation uh, talks about. While your grandparents might talk about here in town, if they if they lived here, grew up here a little bit, they might talk about these old places like the Cave and Izzy's and Oil Can Harry's, all these old great names for clubs they used to have. Whereas the grandchildren might remember Love Affair or Graceland's or or some or the Town Pump or Richards on Richards uh, that they that they went to. So it's a funny thing. There's almost a thread through everybody who's lived here who remembers a fun night spot they went to that's gone now, either because there's a condo development there now and the city and that whole block has changed or, you know, for one reason or another, sometimes actually these, some of the places are still around, Well, I'm, you know, like, and I, I'm every town is going to have that. For sure. It just seemed to really, I mean, and we touched on a bit earlier, but it just seemed to really expedite here. It sure like, did. You know, and, and you know, uh, I, I, exactly like you say, I mean, the, the, the horseshoe still in Toronto. Lee's is still in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. I think even Rivoli, the El Combo is still in Toronto. And that's been shuttered for years and it's just been sort of mothballed waiting to come back any day now. You know, New York lost CBGBs. Uh, uh, there's, lo- there's clubs in Los Angeles. Same t- the big towns that no longer have that place that everybody talked about in this sort of these mythical places where these bands came through. And that's what makes the Commodore, you know, so interesting. Or even the penthouse, because there's so many people that, well, showbiz people that went in there just to hang out, you know, like. Um, and when we lose those places, it's not so much that the, that the stars went there. It's it's where we as people in the city went to. And that's where we met. And that's where there's very few places in Vancouver that are cross-generational places where your grandparents went to, your parents went to, and you could go to. You can count them on one hand. Stanley Park, the P&E, the Orpheum, the Commodore, even the penthouse in a, in, a, in a weird way, you know. But after that, it, I, I challenge you, it sort of starts dropping off. You know, it's really hard to sort of think of, you know. There's- I mean, is there anything in the burbs? I mean, I live in the burbs. Yeah. I mean, the last time I saw you play a gig out there was yeah. like the Dublin. Yeah, 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 exactly. There's, <laughs> there's, saying like, there's new places there because cheers, those places have really know. changed. You know, the, like the, the, burbs, there's nothing the suburbs there. have really changed. I mean, in, 
in Oshawa, in Ontario, we had the, the Moon Room in Oshawa, which you might have played, the, right. the Eclipse. Yeah. Um, uh, Peterborough. I is think Barrymore had, still there in Ottawa? Has it changed? I think I it has. I believe it is still there. We'll have to call our friend have uh, to, uh, Eric Hoffman. There yeah, yeah. Let's, to, have, have to ask. What's going on there? And then there's the... Um, and Zaphod's gone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what else is uh, up there? There was... Um, what was the... There was a couple in Peterborough, but that scene through southern Ontario yeah. was... It's uh, fun when I talk to people like yourself who remember... Whether they're people who are, are, are still in touring bands, used to be, were in bands before, now they're in production, or we're all in that network. Yeah. There's, there's, this, there's this thing that, that we all fought in the Crusades. We all went off and did this thing because, you know, we, we're familiar with those rooms. We, we, spent, we, we came up a little bit on tour. You know, I, I know some, some people now who are especially maybe talent buyers who aren't people that necessarily grew up on the road like we did. They come from different booking backgrounds. Maybe they were a college booker or something like this, and, and which is a little bit different. But when you when you went through all those places and you know those rooms, there's a kind of a knowing glint when you meet somebody like that and say, "Oh, oh man, been, I, you went to the zoo in Winnipeg." Yeah, yeah the zoo in Winnipeg. Oh my god, can't load in until the two to two fifteen features off the stage. <laughs> so it's like, oh, the oh, zoo, man. But then you got the spaghetti. Yeah. Oh god, and all the so, pictures on the wall. So see, immediately it's 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 like if we had never met one another. And immediately start talking about that. We would feel we had we had gone through the war together, you know. Like, and there's some because some of those places are gone. I am, I know, a little bit nostalgic for that. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's any better or any worse today on that front because there's different avenues. But it's a fun thing to 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 talk about. It in that Do you sense. think that Vancouver After Dark opens up the possibility of you doing Canada After Dark? Perhaps so. You know, yeah, which is so. which is where you can. If no one's doing it yeah. in those markets, then you should go do it. Right? Perhaps so. I mean, you you've know, been in all those markets. You can call up. You can you could probably talk spend about those two clubs. weeks with Hugh Dillon oh in Ontario gosh, yeah. and uh, just go to all of his favorite places. And <laughs> it uh, would be a good that's start. A, that's a book. The heads, oh, my God. The heads, there's, in, in Dave Bedini's book, A Cold Road, he talks about at the, uh, the townhouse in Sudbury that the headstones had come through and had written what was ostensibly the Sistine Chapel of Filth that they had done in Sharpie. They must have had teams of guys doing this over hours because it was a massive, massive drawing that they did. And it, could, it, it, it literally should have, could have taken them a week. I, I have no idea how they pulled it off. And I came, to, when I read that, I had come through with the McKenzie's maybe a week later from them doing that. And, I, and we all saw it and kind of our jaws dropped. At, at, so if any of the boys from the Headstones listen to this, I hope you're laughing because many bands in Canada saw your artwork, <laughs> which was... It was very rude. I, gotta t- I don't want to say what it was, but it was. It's funny how so many people saw that, and and uh, and and it's interesting. It'll be an interesting concept to, to talk about, you know, because some of those clubs along the way, you know, uh, probably shouldn't say because you probably get fired from something. <laughs> so, somebody will fire you. Somebody from, get angry. Somebody. From, that's a different. It's actually better not to say because the mysteriousness of it is. That's even right. Better you just anyway. have to. That should be. If you would see it now, it'd be like they have oh, those shows called ghost stories. You know, you go yes. in and you got to find a ghost in a town. Go find all the headstones artwork around. Oh my around God. The, they must have. They must have had a team of. I don't know how many sharpies they went through to draw that. The funny thing is that band. It's the first show I ever did with my own money. As really, a, as a promoter. Wow. Brought them into a two hundred capacity club. They were great. The agent at the time was awesome. I think it was a co- cooperation between Rob Patty, Jeff Crape, and wow. um, from Feldman and um, Sam Tuma at the time. Right. And we did, Same and too, yeah. they were like, the, the, you know, it was kind of like there was a tour going on, and Sam pushed the agenda to get, you know, the band in there. My band had opened up. Dale from the band had played on my band's first record. Oh, wow. First of 12 that we put out. Yeah. And it was, but it was one of those things where. That's good. Dale was really great to me over that time. 
Um, and that all came out of the moon room in Oshawa, you know, and, and that sort of thing and, um, metal name, Carrie King. Yeah. At the time she, she um, her name was Carrie Nowenski. She was like running the place there. Had had the eclipse. Wow. They, she used to bring the headstones in all the time. Um, the eclipse. Yes. Yeah, I remember the eclipse. Right. And there was yeah. all this stuff. So I, my first show that I did with my own money was, was the headstones in the great town of Port Perry, Ontario. Wow. And we did it at a place called Trader Sam's and the gig got shut down with two songs left in their set because somebody sprayed pepper spray. Oh my God. In the, in the gig. And I think if you ask Hugh about it, he'd be like, did you play a gig in Port Perry? Or, and uh, we had to get off the, you know, the stage and it was crazy. And so he would remember, he's got a great memory for these things. It was an interesting time. And you know, all those guys were great. They were, and they, uh, and to me at the beginning we'll of my a shot career, because they have Dale. a new record out. Yeah, they do, and, and it sounds it sounds amazing. And one of the, I got to say, and I've and I've said this before, one of the best bands I've seen lately is the Headstones. And you've they, done all their stuff, and I've I've, I've done a, a bunch of their shows with the Commodore and stuff like that. And like m- most improved, not that they have, they weren't bad before, but they're so much tighter, they're so much more focused, they're better players, and and Hugh's always been good, but he's like a man on fire there now. I I I tell people, listen, do yourself a favor. And go see the. You will not be disappointed. Most people said Headstones, really, from back. You know, they're a totally different band. They're way heavier. It's great. They're tight, and and I, I was I'm I was stunned. You know, like uh, the last couple times they're down, they're so good. Did I he, shouldn't be did, stunned because now Hugh, I know what to expect. Did Hugh contribute to this book? He did. He, did he, he, uh, he, and who Hugh else and, did you have? And who else do you have? In Hugh book? and Trent Carr from the Headstones uh, talk about uh, coming out to Vancouver to play the Town Pump um, in the book. Um, Tommy Chong. Talks about early uh, Vancouver in the 1960s, playing in the clubs and managing some of the clubs uh, that he, him and his brother were involved with. T- Tommy Chong was there, actually a really central figure in the Vancouver music scene in the 1960s. Everybody knows him from his comedy, you know, stuff with Cheech and Chong, but he was a he was a real central, massive figure because not only did he was he playing all the time in his own band that he had, but uh, he was managing some of these clubs and, and giving work to other musicians in town. So. It was he was a great interview. I really enjoyed um, talking with him, uh, in particular. Yeah. Your favorite gig <laughs> that you've seen, and you just touched on headstones, but let's talk your favorite gig that you've seen in a venue that's no longer here. Oh my gosh! In Vancouver. Oh my gosh! There's so many now. <laughs> and there's probably a list of the ones you can talk about. Yeah. And the ones of the list that you can't talk about. Well, God, let me let me think now. Because this scene was thriving. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it still is. People say, oh, Vancouver, I know Fun City. I totally disagree with that. I to- and, I, and that may come as a shock to people. But let me tell you, I look at stuff or I get invites to go see a band or come see a show. There's often two or three a night, all every night of the week. And if I went out to one every one of those, I'd need a new liver by the end of the month. Um, there's... There's always new stuff going on. Sometimes it's hit and miss, but there's there's always stuff to check stuff to check out. And there's so much other kinds of entertainment with some of the theater stuff and God, everything. There's so much stuff that you can do here in town. You know, like that. I I I, I honestly don't think that you 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 just have to be sort of a little bit more open. And you sometimes have to check out stuff that's not in the club that you expect to go to. It's somewhere else. It's some and and maybe Vancouver has always been a little bit insular that way. I know I'd always, when, I, when people tell me, oh, I came to Vancouver, I didn't like it. I didn't meet anybody. Everybody was really cold and I, I didn't have a good time. I was like, and I always ask, well, where the hell did you go? You know, like who, tell me where you went that you had, a, you know, like, and it's inevitably they went to the worst place. God, and they went some other town. Like what, you went out there. Why the hell? You know? And I was like, next time you come to town, 
Give went, me a call. I'll tell you around. You know, went to Saanich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I, I honestly disagree. It's never been, of course, there's clubs that have disappeared. Of course, it's never been harder to start a bar. You know, one of the things that's interesting that's in the book is some of the great clubs that were happening in the 1970s were started by guys like they were like 23 and 25 that managed to get a little bit of money together to open up a place. You know, those, those maybe real pioneering days are maybe sadly gone because the, the city is much more developed. It's a lot, you got to, it's, it's tighter margins and you need a lot more money to start uh, some places. But I don't think it's over. I don't think it's, it's changing. You know, like one of the things I often hear from people is, uh, well, that, you know, there's some musicians that are around the 1960s playing in Vancouver say, best, 60, best ever. That was the greatest time. And everything, you know, people always have an attitude that their own glory years were the greatest time to be alive. It's something we naturally do. It's, we, we reason our own youth this way, that the generation before us never had it as good as we did, and the generation after totally missed out. So everything after their, when they were probably roughly in their 20s to 30s, that zone. Old maybe man on the porch. Yeah. The, after that, yeah. no, everything sucks. And, I, you know, you can talk to people, and I talk to people, in this, people who say in the 1960s, you can talk to, go down to people who when the scene switched, switches down, let's say someplace like the Smiling Buddha, they say, oh, man, that was such a great time. You know, the 80s, a bunch of other clubs start to open, you know, and, and, uh, and a new wave of music starts happening. Even in the 90s, you know, like uh, there's, always, there's always something interesting happening. And, and inevitably, there's some 22-year-old kid who's going out with his guitar to play with his buddies tonight at some hole in the wall. And 30, 20 years later, he's going to talk about that was the greatest time to be alive in Vancouver, you know, like... So it, it, it's, a, it's a bouncing ball that moves that way. Um, some of the best shows I, I've seen that are in clubs that are gone now, God. If there's one you know. in particular, like I'm, I'm, I, uh, I didn't have the luxury of, yeah. of, of adding the town pump to my, my well, the pump is, I, is one know, that is near and dear to I me never, because it, yeah, it, it, it was probably, it I never made it there. It was, it was one of the great places and it was, and part of that was, you know, I, I, I get why people say certain other places in town were really special, and that, but for me, and my era of rock and roll people and many other people will agree to this, that, that the town pump really was a special place because it was not, it was actually not a great place to watch a band. They were, you were, the bands played up against a wall. Um, it wasn't in, in the, you know, from left to right in the room rather than sort of front to back. Um, it was always a strange, but somehow it worked. And, and it was a great era for bands coming through. When you just look at some of the listings yeah. of the newspaper, you see like night after night, like, Oh my God, like, Look who played. Look who was on the road then, you know, playing in the small 500-person or less club, you know. Um, there were just so much good. So it was a fun room to play. You know, I started playing, first show I ever played there was 1993 with the Real McKenzie's. Um, you know, I remember those shows very, very well. And they were always great. They were always totally off-the-chain fun shows and, and packed rooms, you know, like. But there was also something really special about the front room. Of and this is something I've written about that the that there was a lounge in the front of the town pump that if you kind of wanted to take a break from the band or whatever you could kind of step back into the bar and kind of go down into this sort of front section of the room that was right by the front door and there I don't know there must have been only maybe nine tables there or something it was and there was not a big but you know I met everybody there it was like That's that scene in Goodfellas went down. it was like that yeah. scene in Goodfellas where Henry walks in he says I met Fat Louie and Fat Andy and Jimmy two times. Honestly, coming in there was that was that to me because I met Biff Naked there. I met uh, Matthew Good there, Dave Ginn, almost everybody. You know, th that was sort of the the world kind of opened up to me, and I was twenty two, twenty three, 
and and that was a great thing. I it felt like I within a week I was picking up my mail there. I was so much uh, there so much, and it was a, that in itself was a great sort of little conference room because you saw the the guys in the ska bands talking to the folk people. You saw the metal people talking to the blues guys. Right. Uh, and it was a real mix of different genres of people doing, you know, different stuff in town. And that's that, what, a little and bit Neil that's Osborne what I miss. With his hand, with his arms crossed, <laughs> looking over everyone yeah. as the governor. Yeah. Right? yeah 5440. Yeah. I mean, they even named a band after, or an album after Oh, my God. The, yeah. After, yeah. After, after Smiling Booty. Yeah. You know. Smiling Booty and Cabaret. So, so, so yeah. yeah, for sure. Great you know, times. That, that, that was. Um, Great times. That was that was a real fun era, you know. Like, and I know a lot of people who miss that, not necessarily for because the music was better, but just the social aspect of it in particular, especially for the cadre of musicians in town. Everybody was very welcoming, and the fun thing was that I, li- I miss a little bit from today is you don't see some of those multi-genre bills. You know, now if it's if it's going to be a you know bill of music, it's like three metal bands or three rock bands or three you know blues bands or I don't know. But they used to take a little more chances, or people used to be a little bit more open. You know, there'd be a ska band opening for, yeah. you know, like a Celtic rock band, and then you know, um, somebody else would, fi- you know, a metal band would finish. And you'd, so you, that kind of openness and experimentation, we seem to. I don't know why that's that sort of. You think it would continue, but uh, we we become a little bit more specific in our listing, probably because of the internet. You know, we could find exactly so what we much- want. Like amazing podcasts. There's and amazing there's, podcasts there's like this, Brendan on tour. You there's know, all these podcast. great things going on. Yeah. But uh, there's there's loads of ways that people can get their content now. Exactly. Oh my and gosh. They yeah. really, and this is that they really got to fight for entertainment. So I'm always encouraged when there's a show uh, and, and it's packed. And I always love it when I hear of a, of a show selling out. Yeah. Uh, just because, you know, it, it definitely, uh, people are still getting out to, to see it. They uh, do. Even though there's not uh, potentially a lot of historic venues left in the city, perhaps people are getting a chance to create a create new, some, a new scene. New ones. And that's I mean, only going to happen. That's only going to happen when they go out. For, for sure. For sure. So Vancouver After Dark is the book. It is in stores everywhere. This is the fourth of the my Aaron, fourth book. The yes. Aaron Chapman uh, series here. <laughs> uh, obviously, it's been good to you as we overlook the city and your beautiful it's, penthouse. It, it, yeah. <laughs> I noticed that you kept the. Uh, the dogs, the, the dog, the, the prized Alsatians in the corner, yeah, in the other room, and <laughs> and uh, you've got one of those new quiet pools. Yes, it's very quiet, so yeah. we couldn't, uh, it wouldn't interfere. It's a sink with, in the, in the next room. That's there, yeah. right. But uh, obviously, uh, I, uh, I couldn't be happier for you. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, no, like, it's been uh, a fun. Just uh, as your friend, I'm I I love hearing the stories because uh, you are my historian. Oh, from a that's, very kind of you. that's very kind. That's very kind. The, uh, it's been fun. It's been really rewarding to 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 uh, you know. I remember, uh, as I say, being born and raised here. Some of my memories over the, the decades, dare I say, are, are kind of feed into some of the work. And it's and it's fun to also spotlight some people I know that that really haven't uh, you know don't get the credit they deserve. In the in a chapter on the book called the about the pig and whistle, um, which was a real sort of rundown little bar right next to the cruel elephant slash hungry eye on Cordova Street. It's it's gone now. You know, that was a little crucible um, of stuff happening. And some of the people that were playing there, um, you know, um, John Collins from the New Pornographers used to go down there after school just to watch my friend Robert Ford's band. And, and Robert passed last year, and, and, and it, the, that chapter is a real kind of tribute to him because he influenced a lot of people that went on to other stuff and, and was a great musician himself. So, Where can people find all... The goods on Aaron They can Chapman. get it certainly uh, on any bookstore, any any chapters, Indigo, Kohl's, you know, all the, all the big bookstores 
across Canada uh, have it. If they don't have it in, they can order it in for you. You can get it on Amazon. Pitchforks. Uh, you Demand. Can, they, yeah, they, you, or you can get it, uh, you know, it, it's certainly present. You'll find it in a lot of bookstores here in British Columbia, but you can get it online on Amazon or direct from the publisher, uh, Arsenal Pro, Pulp Press, um, and get it straight from them. And, and uh, you get even get a signed copy if you want. Well, uh, you'll even sign it. I'll even sign it. Just let, let them know that you want me to sign it to... Are you, you doing, uh, you doing robe Polaroids <laughs> in, inside the Anything thing? Anything kinky is going to cost you more, folks. That's not even kinky. This is but, just the John Cleese you got going on. <laughs> You're living in this fancy, fancy uh, the apartment you got here. It's like, uh, I'm surprised that I didn't have to put a robe on to enter. Yeah, yeah, should, we should have done it in the steam room, really. And, just, and then you could hear us pouring water on the rocks and the sizzling of the sauna. Going around. That would have been good. Uh, awesome, man. Well, thanks for appearing in episode three, dude. I am honored. Been, uh, I am honored. I got, I, uh, and, I got some and, coffee products for you. Thank you. Um, thank you very much. A, and good uh, luck with this. I, I find this and what you're doing really intriguing and, and, and that you're, uh, you know, by some of your own travels, you're able to sort of tell your own stories and find out your own answers to some questions. I think it's pretty cool. It's been a blast putting together, man. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's, you know, people like yourself coming on and telling stories and, you know, with, uh, uh, our paths cross every, you know, a couple times a year, and there's always something new to tell. I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, generally by the time and new stuff is coming up because yeah. you've got this idea. I guess is I wouldn't want to take the cat out of the bag, but there's going to be you've maybe talked about it already of getting a bunch of us together for something. Yeah, so. we're going to do a bit of a Vancouver roundtable where we're going to dive a little bit more into what we were talking about tonight. But uh, I got uh, uh, you know uh, some decent uh, sized. Uh, Oh man! Guests yeah. to the mix here that will uh, will be able to add. That's a rat a, pack from, of people you've got. To, I'm I'm excited for that's that one. That's going to yeah. be good, and uh, we're going to film it on the hi-fi there. Beautiful. And we're going to you know we're going to put it on the on the internet. Right so on the Colatini, yeah, right there, and uh, and it'll air right after the Beachcombers on uh, <laughs> on your local station. We'll go to Molly's so. Reach afterwards. Molly's for Reach. Uh, well, maybe we'll get a chance to drive Nikki Six around in a couple of weeks, couple of months. Maybe hey, when they're in town. Maybe and, uh, maybe back through that. Yeah, I you know I I sent him a note on, on Instagram, and he. Uh, and he, and he acknowledged it there. And I just said, hey, man, great, you know, great pictures. If you're going to come back in town again, let's, let's do it again. So, um, well, we know check guys. out his stuff. His, his, and, and, uh, and he, yeah, you might. We know some uh, guys. We know some guys. We'll, we'll take them around. We know. We'll we do had all fun that. last time. So, uh, thanks, everyone. Check out Aaron Chapman's work, Vancouver After Dark, uh, the Commodore Ballroom. What else we got? We got the last game. Uh, last game town and, and Liquor Lesson Law. You can find me at AaronChapman.net or, or on Twitter, uh, the Aaron Chapman. And at the penthouse. And at the, and yet the penthouse on most nights. At most nights. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Appreciate you coming on. Thank you, sir. All right. Until next time. If you want more music talk, get it with me, Todd Hancock, and the Toddcast podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And over the last couple of months, we've had some incredible guests, including Cancer Bats drummer Mike Peters, Big Rex singer Ian Thornley joined us. We even went out to Nickelback singer Chad Kruger's home studio to record a little something. When James went into one... He put the third verse where the first verse was supposed to go. (laughs) And uh, I'm like, he is human. There's Nickelback singer Chad Kruger talking about how Metallica was his first concert. The Brenton on Tour Music Cast is brought to you by the Toddcast Podcast. Follow us at Toddcast Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can hear all the podcasts, full interviews, and a lot more through ToddHancock.ca. We'll see you soon. Hey listeners, I'm Christy and I'm Melissa and this is Buried Motives. 
where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate.